0: Hear ye, hear ye, the dishonorable weirdo Abigail will
1: now speak. Attention all weirdos, losers, rednecks, white trash, aliens, outcasts, outliers, sluts, whores, gangsters, thugs, poors, and anyone else who the world and society don't care about. I have a podcast for you. Come join me at the Manic Pixie Weirdo where we talk about all the different kinds of relationships we have in our lives. From movies to math and suicide hotlines to sex. Join us every Saturday for a new episode featuring yours truly and other smarter folk. We need you and we want you with us. So come join us at the Manic Pixie Weirdo where we accept, respect, and value you. Listen on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, be kind and stay weird
0: what are you doing oh you know sorry charles I, i'm working out because i i, I want to have i want to have big strong the the big strong chest that ricardo Montalbon had uh for scarif con i want to be able to show it off
1: but are you 66 though
0: <laughs> no no i'm not <laughs> all right maybe next time scarif Khan. maybe next time Welcome, my friends, to uh, a wonderfully fun edition. I'm going to make that prediction because I think uh, anytime we get together with uh, anyone from the uh, Conversations podcast, it's always a fun, fun episode. So tonight we have the one, the only Charles from Conversations podcast, my friend, my fellow Red Fiverr. How are you this evening?
1: I am doing fantastic uh unfortunately pat couldn't be here because uh it's a star trek and uh he's on the planet furthest from so there you go
0: <laughs> nice nice i thought this was city alpha five this <laughs> is city alpha six damn it <laughs>
1: very yeah, nice he'd, he'd be on city alpha i don't give a crap about star trek <laughs>
0: We, uh, I know we started talking a little bit about uh, this particular Star Trek in the uh, direct messages uh, on on the Twitters,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, this is another one of those movies, you know, along with Indiana Jones and obviously Star Wars. Uh, but this is another one of those movies that I, um, I'm pretty good with quoting and 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 just kind of, you know, being very familiar with uh, a lot of the lines um, for for this. Um, and uh, I, I guess we have to introduce what we're talking about, but um, this is uh, going to be a um, a Star Trek episode. This is the other Star franchise. Yes. Um, for for those of you who uh, were you know waiting to hear about Star Wars, sorry, psych. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about, uh, and, and I wanted to say, it, it's arguably probably one of the best sequels of all time, second only to Empire Strikes Back, of course. Of course, of course, of course. But uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan is a fantastic movie. We got a lot to discuss because I started, uh, you know, jotting down some notes and then you added some more notes and uh, we're going to be here all night.
1: <laughs> We've got a good two-parter here.
0: Very, very nice.
1: As a sequel, uh, second, like you said, not to take anything away from Empire Strikes Back, I would think that uh, Khan, Rocket the Khan, is right there, right behind it, for the uh, the ability to take the story and and move it completely into into a, a new direction, and have the tightness of script, story, sound, music. It was it really is close to as perfect as a sequel as you can have, as much as uh, Empire Strikes Back was.
0: Absolutely, I. Uh... I 100% agree. But uh, th- there's a little episode um, that uh, the story kind of draws from. And uh, I wanted to start with that. You know, we've got uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, let's zip back in time, if we will. We are talking about Star Trek. So uh, from an abbreviative source, it's a TOS. I know we like to talk in, in abbreviations. We've got uh, TOS. The original series, mm-hmm. we've got uh TNG, TFA, TNG. so yeah, we, uh, we like our alphabet, don't we?
1: Mm-hmm. We do, and the abbreviations, yeah, it comes from season one, if you can believe, episode 22 of the original series, and uh, Space Seed is where we first meet Khan, and uh, one of those, again, one of those brilliant Star Trek episodes that uh, sort of takes... Uh, in this case, human genetics and the genome and, uh, you know, and Gene Roddenberry and his brilliance taking the, uh, what could be a science in the future, putting it in the present day and just giving it a really cool, local, small world lens and see how it can affect the, uh, crew of the start of the enterprise and, uh, ends up creating a character, uh, who's immediately intimidating and con and charismatic and, and forceful, but, uh, a brilliant stroke by the writer of uh you know ratha khan to go and pluck him out of this episode because he really was an antagonist to kirk that we rarely see in the original series
0: absolutely um so that episode was called space seed like you mentioned season one episode 22 and um yeah to be able to get uh that actor, too, Ricardo Montalban, uh, he was a heavy hitter back in the day. And, um, you, you talk about charisma. Uh, I'm really, uh, th- this is one of the gems of the original series as far as uh, episodes and as far as story arcs. I think, um, you know, Khan, uh, as a character, I think goes down in the uh, in the history of Star Trek as being, you know, somebody that rivals Kirk. Uh, You know, on the opposite side there, but, uh, you know, Kirk really, um, you know, struggles with with Khan in in both episodes. I think, uh, you know, when we see him first in Space Seed, um, you know, there's a kind of a cool little mystery that unravels uh, when they encounter the, the ship, the Botany Bay. Mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean you know it, it goes on from there the story goes on from there um let's talk a little bit about uh the story on space seed because it's a it's an interesting story and i do want to talk about the eugenics wars and 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 all that uh fun stuff that uh, is part of the uh, of his character and his history
1: right yeah it takes place in the late 90s which is Kind of cool to think that weird, yeah,
0: no, it's so weird. <laughs> the timing we is crazy. We lived through it
1: exactly, and they even mentioned I think 2018 a, a bit further on in the episode too. It's like, wow, <laughs> what two years before COVID? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're talking about the eugenics wars, and you know, eugenics, you know, as a basic definition is uh, essentially human enhancements and human uh, genomic modifications to create a superior race, of which Khan and his followers were and uh it was interesting too as part of that uh, eugenics war like i didn't read the book there was a book that was written about khan and, and the rise and fall of his character during the eugenics war and there was this uh you know genetics movement to create these superhumans and you know, in some of the some of the third world countries ones that had sort of lacks more lacks i guess oversight of what was going on with some of these experimentations so that's why you see a a cross uh section of races within the group of khan you know khan himself he's sort of middle eastern looking uh and you have asian even mentioned in the episode as a whole wide swath of different races so these superhumans were poised to take over the world and then it eventually led into world war three within the, uh, the original series timeline or the pre Kelvin timeline. So it's really interesting to see that the, uh, the, where the world was at this point in 19 late or mid to late 1990s and, uh, leading into a, a world war three. And now we're talking about Re- Roddenberry forecasting forward from the late sixties and seeing where, where could we be in 30 years? And that's, uh, as usual with Roddenberry, he's, uh, pretty forward thinking on
0: that yeah absolutely and as usual with any good sci-fi uh it seems like uh, we are being taught uh some cautionary tales especially with uh with this uh story arc um I I I love it um there was a painting in the episode of uh Genghis Khan that they kept referring Ah. to which I which I totally love um, they obviously painted uh, this portrait of Genghis Khan to to make him look uh, very similar to to uh, Mr. Montalban, right? Um, yeah, it's um, true. Yeah, so they, you know, the mystery starts to unravel. You've got this uh, spaceship with uh, some spacefaring people that are frozen, not in carbonite; they're frozen in <laughs> uh, suspended animation. Um, they are in glowy lights. In glowy lights, yeah. They're slowly awakened and and uh, they they start to uh, you know come out of this uh, sleep uh, sleep session, mm-hmm. um, but it's really cool. Uh, we've got this character uh, Khan who uh, seems to be the leader of these people. We start to find out you know his history, what's going on, but um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of cool how they hinted at his history. I mentioned the Genghis Khan portrait. Um, so there is definitely like a connection between this con and the con that history knows. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, um, wh- do you remember? Why were they, um, uh, shipped off into space and in suspended animation?
1: Wasn't it, uh, as a punishment to get them off world, uh, because they were,
0: uh, they Too ambitious had, or something.
1: Yeah. They had, they were jettisoned and they were, you know, there was part of the story was that you know eighty or ninety of these superhumans were never accounted for once the World War Three was done and uh, you know everything had settled back. So essentially, Khan had taken seventy or so of his uh, or eighty or so of his followers and went in to suspend the animation and got off-world and floated in space for two hundred years before the Enterprise found them.
0: Well, either choke me or cut my throat. Make up your mind. English. I thought I dreamed hearing it. Where am I? You're in bed, holding a knife at your doctor's throat. Answer my question. It would be most effective if you would cut the carotid artery just under the left ear. You know, the story, obviously the story unfolds here. Uh, The crew of the Botany Bay here at this point starts to mingle with the rest of the crew. There's some, you know, weird little uh, funky romances there. Um, Again, getting back to Khan as a charismatic um, leader. He uses that charisma to kind of take control over a certain character, a, a, a lady yeoman, I think it, it, it was, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to start to kind of infiltrate the Enterprise ranks and kind of, uh, you know, draw favors on, on, on uh, his crew uh,
1: yeah.
0: to work against Kirk and, um, but uh, you know, talk about uh ruthless and charismatic. You have in your notes uh he's highly intelligent. Oh yeah and uh, you know, later on, you know, when we talk about uh Wrath of Khan, uh there definitely is kind of a battle of, of the minds with with Kirk and uh and Khan. It's uh, really fascinating to see unfold, especially because the story goes back to the sixties when, like you said, the uh the authors of Wrath of Khan just pulled that Antagonist out of the sixties, and i I think that I, I think that was a brilliant move.
1: It totally was because he was, you know, as much as Kirk and Spock outwitted him uh, in certain cases. Khan was like, like you just said, was able to uh, coerce and charismatically take over MacGyver's, which is the female yeoman that who actually not only was a witting participant in you know, in his mutiny of the enterprise, but also she painted that Genghis Khan slash uh, Khan portrait. So she had this affinity for these strong male historical characters and that just played right into his ego. But unknowingly she was exposing herself to his uh, wiles and charms. And if it wasn't for her, he wouldn't have had any level of success because she was critical uh, in his overthrow, even though he knew all the technical manuals uh, and he knew the the readout of the entire uh, starship without her he wouldn't have got have uh, he wouldn't have gotten to where he was without her so uh you know she he ended up uh so convincing one of the most eight well, well, crew member to help him with this overthrow, and he was the only one who was revived at the point at, you know, at the time because it was the leader of the Uh, these cryogenically sleeping uh, beings until he assessed that he could wake up the other ones Um, he was alone and Kirk even said look we're not going to wake up the other ones until we get to this space station because I don't know what's going on and with the help of MacGyvers he woke up the other members of his crew and were able to overthrow the Enterprise
0: Damn you MacGyvers
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got your own show. Wait that's MacGyver That's MacGyver
0: (laughs) (laughs) name Khan Noonien Singh from 1992 through 1996 absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world
1: from Asia through the Middle East
0: the last of the tyrants to be overthrown I must confess gentlemen I've always held a sneaking admiration for this one he was the best of the tyrants and the most dangerous they were supermen in a sense stronger, braver, certainly more ambitious, more daring um, this romanticism about a ruthless dictator is... Mr. Spock, we humans have a streak of barbarism in us. Appalling, but there nevertheless. There were no massacres under his rule. And as little freedom. No war? until he was attacked. Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spock, you misunderstand us. We can be against him and admire him all at the same time. Like I said, it's a fascinating tale, and uh, I just love the fact that they pulled this story arc to, uh, you know, to use in the uh, 1982 uh, subsequent uh, sequel to uh, Motion Picture from 79. It's just just fantastic.
1: You know, what's really interesting, the end of that episode, where once Kirk overpowers Khan with uh, (laughs) with what looks like a cartridge from... uh, uh, one of those uh, soda machines he knocks <laughs> for a couple of times and uh, Khan's knocked out and they basically face a court-martial uh, Khan and some of his followers and MacGyver's and Kirk cur- curiously in this uh, court-martial overthrows all the charges offers city alpha five to Khan as a world to conquer and lets MacGyver's follow him if she wishes and I was very curious because it, it just, it doesn't follow, right. It, it there's something odd about that. Is, is he giving a second chance? I mean, it fits perfectly into plucking him. Like you said, as a character from the past, but I have never understood that decision. I, I, to this, to this day, I don't get that.
0: I think maybe, um, you know, you mentioned that Kirk might've wanted to give them a second chance. I think, uh, their ambition might have been too much for, for the crew of the enterprise to bring them back and, and have them be absorbed back into society. Okay. All right. Um, So, you know, I think, uh, I think Kirk was uh, seemingly weighing his options um, and uh, you know, putting them and setting them on SETI alpha five was probably the best decision, you know, uh, short of uh, sticking them back in the, uh, in the freezing chambers. (laughs) <laughs> um
1: yeah and without a ship probably too he's probably gonna put in there and give him supplies to live with but ultimately you've and he even said to con himself it's going to be rough we're going to have to scavenge for our food and it's going to be a hard life and MacGyver's want to go with him and then like you said I will take this woman she's strong and uh that was it it was uh that choice so I mean, fortuitously, for the uh, the sequel to the Star Trek motion, motion picture, <laughs> what a character to leave uh, leave on a, pl- on a planet that, uh, <laughs> that was pluckable for a storyline.
0: Forgive my curiosity, Mr. Khan, but my officers are anxious to know more about your extraordinary journey and how you managed to keep it out of the history books. Adventure, Captain.
1: Adventure. There was little else left on Earth. There was the war to end tyranny. Eh? Many considered that a noble effort. Tyranny, sir? Or an attempt to unify humanity? Unify, sir? Like a team of animals under one whip? I know something
0: of those years, remember? It was a time of great dreams, of great aspiration. Under dozens of petty dictatorships. One man would have ruled eventually. As Rome under the Caesar, think of its accomplishments.
1: Then your sympathies were with... You are an excellent tactician, Captain. You let your second-in-command attack while you sit and watch for
0: weakness. You have a tendency to express ideas in military terms. This is a social occasion.
1: has been said that uh, social occasions had only warfare concealed.
0: So anything else about Space Seed before we uh, we move on? Because the story is not done.
1: No, it's not. And uh, Chekhov is a quite important part of that story. Or not story. But we'll get to that.
0: Yes, we'll get to that. Um, some behind-the-scenes uh, stuff here with uh, writer uh, Gene Roddenberry for this uh, episode i'm looking through some of the notes and uh you know uh getting back to star wars you know george lucas had some trouble uh with his union uh during the empire strikes back because there were no credits at the uh at the beginning of the empire strikes back he uh relinquished his membership of the dga and Mm. said i want to do them i want to do the movie my way i don't need credits at the beginning and he said he said flip it all baby (laughs) Um, Gene Roddenberry uh, I think was persecuted Kind of in a similar way Um, I know he uh, made some alterations And um, Some fixes to some of the original Story points in Space Seed uh, Back in the 60s And the the Writers Guild of America Denied permission for him to get writing credit On the script for Space Seed um, Wow Which Hmm. uh, I I find uh, interesting But you know uh, I know IGN back in the day uh, claimed that uh, Space Seed has uh, it was one of the best episodes uh, of sci- science fiction, uh, you know, from that era. So it uh, it definitely made a mark on uh, on society. Wow,
1: that's cool, nice. I mean, there's a boatload of great episodes within that. So for it to get uh, that high of a praise, that's fantastic.
0: You fled? Why were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. Oui. Excellent. Excellent.
1: But if you will excuse me, gentlemen, ladies. I grow fatigued again. With your permission, Captain, I will return to my quarters.
0: You want to jump into uh, the Wrath of Khan, then? Let's do it. 1982, the sequel to the... Not so critically acclaimed Star Trek: The Motion Picture of 1979, Mm -hmm. uh, directed by um, Robert Weiss, Uh, old Hollywood Robert Weiss. Wasn't it? uh, Wait, wasn't it uh, Nicholas Mayer who directed? Nicholas Meyer uh, directed Wrath of Khan. I'm talking about Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Pay attention, Charles. (laughs) Wake up.
1: It's like 1230 row time. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: You know it's again you know I, I talked about uh, this being probably the best sequel obviously second to the Empire Strikes Back but mm-hmm. it, it really is uh, they did a uh, bang up job as they say um, absolutely kick some butt uh, Gene uh, Roddenberry it uh, was actually uh, kicked out of uh, Star Trek during the development of a sequel uh, the studio thought that uh, his script for uh, the uh, the first Star Trek movie was uh, <clears throat> was uh, a little bit uh, off the beaten path, mm. and um, he started writing a script. But uh, they said, "No, thank you. Uh, we'll do it on our own." And uh, imagine being imagine you're Gene Roddenberry and you are the father of Star Trek, and they kick you uh, out of the creative process. That's gotta <laughs> hurt. Imagine.
1: I mean, uh, like you noted, that would be like Lucas saying, hey, look, we didn't like Phantom Menace, so we'll take care of uh, Attack of the Clones*." Thank you very much. Aye. See you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but, but it's um... funny when
1: when you think about that approach, you've got Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is very, like, quote-unquote cerebral. Uh, the parallels to Star Trek's Inception, the first episode, The Cage, with Captain mm. Pike, you know, it's very, it's very similar because when – they they first did that uh, episode, and of course, there's a few characters that are that are brought over. And uh, Captain Pike was, you know, for the first episode was uh, jettisoned for Kirk, as we know. So they retooled that pilot and did a second pilot, which is very unusual at the time, with Kirk and um, uh, where no man has gone before, which was the sort of second pilot. I find the strange parallels to this movie franchise. You've got a motion picture, which was. Uh, Brilliantly said, uh, sorry. Brilliantly told a great story, very immersed. But if you're watching it for the story, but it wasn't like this action adventure that right. *Ratha Khan* was. So it's a, it's very similar to the way the the movies were developed after that. So you got this first you know motion picture, and then out comes *Ratha Khan*, which is this you know swashbuckling, adventure packed movie that has a completely different flavor than the first movie that came out.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, good catch. Good catch. And, you know, it seems like the stage was, uh, set, you know, we had, uh, again, just kind of mentioning that George Lucas had plans to do uh, a sequel to star Wars. Um, but it wasn't going to be what empire strikes back ended up being. He wrote, uh, you know, him and, uh, Alan Dean Foster wrote uh, splinter of the mind's eye, very mm-hmm. different story than what uh, the empire strikes back ended up being, but, uh, you know. Lucas, uh, along with many people, I guess, uh, didn't think that Star Wars was going to be anything huge. Uh, so after um, after the first uh, movie, you know, he just wrote this kind of uh, rinky dink story there. Um, but uh, again, similar aspects with uh, with the second incarnation of of a star trek movie the stage was set for this to also be a big disaster obviously we have uh, at the time we have no gene roddenberry leonard nimoy didn't want to come back um there they obviously didn't want to uh up the budget because the first one wasn't as popular
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so it's uh it, it's interesting um you know we always talk about the the challenges that it takes to to make these films um on the development side but uh you know Star Trek and Star Wars share that dna uh where you know the studios want to do more with less and mm-hmm. uh and, and you know honestly i think that's when the creative process really shines you know you uh if you get the the rug pulled out from under you it's up to the creatives to kind of think of you know, what can I do to, to make this really kick ass? And I think they really showed us what they can do after the fact, you know, once uh, Wrath of Khan was released, I think, it's, uh, I think it's amazing.
1: Totally. I mean, you've got, you know, at least with Star Wars and Lucas, you've got a continuity of a story, right, that you're trying to give into part two. With Star Trek, you've got an even further hold together because you've got the motion picture, which wasn't well received, you know, didn't do the bang-up job of you know, at the budget. So now you jettison the main creative, who <laughs> created yeah, the entire yeah. thing. And now what are we going to do? So you've got uh, Nicholas Mayer, you've got Harv Bennett, who are now taking over and had been thrust into this position of, Hey, here's this minimal budget and go make a second movie. And that's where Harv Bennett, who uh, admittedly had never seen um, a Star Trek at all, uh, let alone Nicholas Mayer, the director but he went back and once he was sort of thrust into this position, it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? He went back and watched the series and he was the one who selected Khan out of the original series as a, sort of the main uh, antagonist for Kirk. And again, we've talked about this already, but what a brilliant stroke. You've got a character who's already built in. So you've got the fans who remember that character. And I, I, I saw Khan in theaters. And I remember, because I grew up watching the reruns of Star Trek uh, on Sunday mornings before going to church. I remember the last 10 minutes of every episode, I was like, we have to go to church. It's like, no, it's 10 minutes left. Come on, we got to watch it. Um, and so I remember, I remember Khan, and to think that he was the, someone who was brought back into this movie, I was blown away. And uh, I, I remember reading too during you know prep for this show was that uh, Nicholas Meyer, the director, also took a stab and did some cleanup of the script. So he had, even though, like you had mentioned, you know he didn't really have much of a history with Star Trek, he did some polishing and some sort of story tightening. So these guys who came from left field chose this character, plucked him out of the history of the show itself, and ended up delivering a, a compelling story. And especially an antagonist for Kirk.
0: I wanted to mention, you know, we we talked about how uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, was kicked off, um, but uh, not before he wrote his own sequel to Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, I wanted to ask you to see if you uh, if you knew what that was. Did you know what the storyline for the uh, the Gene Roddenberry sequel to Star Trek: The Motion Picture?
1: Absolutely not until I looked into it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very interesting because I, you know, it's it's a topic too that I that I really uh, like to to kind of dive in. It's uh, it's mis- to me it's mysterious. It's uh, it's uh, wacky, uh, you know, American history, but mm-hmm. it had to do with uh, time travel and the assassination of JFK, which uh, was all the rage back in the sixties. <laughs> that is crazy. And again, one of the other fantastic
1: episodes of Star Trek: The Journey. Uh, sorry, the uh, City on the Edge of Forever. The the uh, the time portal. I yes. love that episode and I had no clue that it was like sort of a central part of that sequel, which would have been kind of cool. Um, I think so too. And ah, yeah, that, w- that, was a, that was a fantastic episode. That was to find that out after you put that in the notes, like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't know this answer. It's like, Oh, that's
0: cool. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that um, that episode, uh, the city on the edge of tomorrow that's what it's called, right? The, um, it won a yeah, uh, Peabody. Like that, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, it won a Peabody. Yeah. That's, that's not surprising.
0: Yeah. Very that was fantastic. Nice.
1: Yeah. Joan Collins, I think was the, uh, was yep. the, uh, female lead. Yeah. That was a good one. Very good one.
0: I joked around at the beginning of the episode, uh, but I wanted to, uh, get your take on it. There's been some controversy about Ricardo Montalban's chest, <laughs> fake or real. What do you say? What do you think, Charles?
1: I've actually known that that was real for several <laughs> decades because Nicholas Mayer was asked that question many times and he was stunned when he first met uh, Montalban <laughs> that at 66, I think it was when he recorded that, uh, when this movie was made yeah. um, he was in that fantastic a shape and it looks so plastic and that's why it <laughs> that's was, uh, I mean, he's rivaling nobody, like the young guys you know? exactly, right. and uh, so From the uh, director's mouth, uh, it was a real chest and not plastic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I need to up my game.
1: (laughs) Well, that workout you were doing at the start of the show, that
0: should help. (laughs) That should help. Absolutely. All right, time for the big thank yous podcast family to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you. Wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales. What up, Joey? The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt. Super fan of many of the Red 5 network pods, Nicholas Schaefer. Follow him at Backyard TARDIS. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida. Our other Floridians, Frank, at the garrison level. Big thanks. And looking at you, Steve, from Rogue One Radio. Check out that Red 5 pod for movies, music, TV, and more. And certainly not least, our executor level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Conversions Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast. Big thank you, Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. And our newest Garrison level patron, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. Huge respect to all our patrons for your support, and if you want to become more involved in the Scarif Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash Scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif, with patrons like you.
1: Before we get too far into the movie, do you know a little bit of the uh, the history of the title of this movie and how it relates to Star Wars?
0: Um, Yes, I do, (laughs) as a matter of fact. Good. (laughs) 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 us. Oh, Oh, um, I know. Did I put that in the notes? I'm not sure what... well, you had put something in the notes about the. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the title. How was uh, Return of the Jedi related to The Wrath of Khan?
1: Right there, and, you go. That's it. And That's I remember it. reading this story probably a good dozen years ago, which was always a fascinating little tidbit. But uh, why don't you why don't you lead us off on that one?
0: Well, obviously everybody um, remembers the original title that George selected for the 1983 uh, final. The chapter of the original trilogy of Star Wars, Revenge of the Jedi,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, it was changed to Return of the Jedi for George Lucas reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: um, I think the the original title for Wrath of Khan um, had the word revenge in it. What was it again? It was, it was the
1: Vengeance of Khan.
0: Right. Yeah, and that was cool.
1: Yeah. And so when they when in pre-production when they because there are some posters i mean i've seen these posters uh, in the holo chronicle boys there uh, jandy josh and andy uh, they talk about that as some of the, the most coveted pieces in their collection um the revenge of the revenge of the jedi posters because there were several produced of those um uh, mm-hmm. before he settled on the final title um so that was a well known thing within industry so instead of going with the vengeance of khan it became the wrath of khan which is a pretty damn cool title sure. to begin with anyways yeah. yeah so so that was a that was a cool little bit of history there
0: absolutely so yeah
1: the we open in a scene with uh miss how from cheers how else could you go with a great character like that
0: <laughs> you know it's funny um I saw a meme that said that, uh, oh, what was it? Because there there does seem to be a lot of uh, actors from Cheers that have appeared on a Star Trek in one show or another. And uh, the meme had to do with with, uh, Data going into the holodeck. And uh, the entire show Cheers is just one holodeck simulation. Oh that is cool. Because <laughs> you got Christy Alley, you got uh there's some other um there's some other folks in there, and obviously, you know, the other connection to Star Trek and Cheers is uh the character of Morn from Deep Space Nine is Norm from Cheers. Ah that's why that's cool. his name is Morn. Mort.
1: Ah, and you've got uh, you've got um, Cliff, who's in Empire Strikes Back,
0: right? Oh, huh. Yeah.
1: There we go. <laughs> <laughs> these these Cheers fellows and their sci fi connections.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, so that, that that opening scene is pretty cool because the Kobayashi Maru maneuver now is really part of lore because that was part yeah. of J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, sort of a, almost like a core piece of uh, his his um, Kelvin timeline. So to see that, the Kobayashi Maru maneuver, that Kirstie Alley, or uh, Mr. S- Mister Savick, as they call her in, in the mm-hmm. movie, um, is a great way to start the tension. And you <laughs> you think, oh, wow, they're getting rid of all these main characters within the first five minutes. Of course, they're not dead. Uh, but it really set the <laughs> yeah. tone um, for comedy and, you can immediately feel the camaraderie between the cast and to a certain degree, more so than you saw in the motion picture. I think there's a lot more calmness. I don't know if it was because they had the first movie under their belt, but they felt so comfortable with each other and it really comes off on screen.
0: Yeah, I do notice I did notice that. I think the, uh, the motion picture, um, it's the first time that the cast has been assembled for quite a while since the uh, canceling of the uh, original series. So I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a uh, long time between uh, between the, the two shows. Um, but getting back to, you know, Wrath of Khan, I think the actors, like you said, did feel a little bit more comfortable. I think, uh, you know, there was some tension there, obviously, from the rumors that we hear about the relationship between the cast uh, and uh, and um, Kirk. I think uh, I, I want to get into the character of Khan because he's very, uh, you know, at this point, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Space Seed, but, um, you know, this film sets up uh, or reminds fans about the rivalry between Kirk and Khan, um, as we saw in the Space Seed uh, episode but it's captain it, it's Kirk's Captain Ahab parable, and we see him stop short of going slightly off his rocker to chase Khan, and the tables seem to be turned as Khan seems to take on the role of Captain Ahab chasing Kirk that wonderful speech that he gives about chasing him. uh what does he say? I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares Maelstrom. I love that yeah. But uh, Ricardo Montalban has some really great lines, and his rendition of this character after all these years seems to have made a, an impact uh, on on him and and certainly fans. But uh, such such a rich character, uh, a, a wonderful antagonist, and uh, you know a rival to Kirk, absolutely
1: one hundred percent. And you've got a uh, first of all an actor who uh, is reprising the role. He Slid right back into that character, right back yes. into the mentality of him, right. And you've got, like you said, he's got these lines of, of a learned man, and they're really, they're highly intelligent. So he's read all the books. You even see that with Chekhov when they find that derelict um, uh, transport or that you know the the living quarters that they, they stumble upon on what they thought was City Alpha Six, and all those books are in the bookshelf, and he's got Khan's got access to all these classic novels, and he is burning with a desire to get revenge or wrath on Kirk. And he like, it's that's brilliant. It's that's well done. I mean, <laughs> he's captain Ahab chasing the whale of Kirk at this point, because yeah. he was, what was it? Six months after they were dropped off on the planet, the city alpha six went supernova and knocked city alpha five off of its axis. And they were derelict. They had nothing. And they were, truly stranded and the even Khan says it's only through my high intelligence that we lived and he is pissed and out for revenge and when Chekhov ends up dropping down on the planet it doesn't take too long for him to realize who he's standing in front of and how quickly he can get back to his whale aka Kirk
0: right and uh, Chekhov is holding the, um, the 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 belt with the name on it yeah the SS Botany Bay and he yeah. realizes Yeah, he realizes what uh, what they've stumbled upon. Yep. But but hold the phone a a second there, Charles. Let's uh, (laughs) let's let's talk about this for a second. (laughs) Chekhov recognizes the Botany Bay. Hold on a second. How is that possible? (laughs) How is that possible? So, you know, for those of you who uh, are not privy to our uh, side humor here, um, the actor uh, that played Chekhov uh, was not in the first season of Star Trek, which uh, negates the fact that that he even knew about uh, Khan back mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the 1966 episode. Um, yep. But there's but there's a great way to fix all that, isn't there, Charles? Yeah. Off camera. <laughs> That's the, I mean,
1: I, when I first saw it, it's like, oh my God, that's crazy. I mean, he was there and then you watch the episodes like, oh crap,
0: no, he wasn't no, there. He wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He was actually, um, what's the actor's name? The kid from the guy from the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> No no, uh, speaking of no oh, speaking oh, of that oh, yeah Walter Chekhov. Koenig Walter Koenig Yeah, Walter Koenig. I mean, he was brought in on the second season to appeal to the to the younger lady audiences yeah. because he looked like Davy Jones, which is Absolutely. kind of Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I out of left field like what? Like yeah. somebody some somebody in the boardroom at Star Trek's uh c- came rushing in and said, "We got to get the ladies uh, uh uh interested in Star Trek."
1: Yeah. Let's bring we in need, Davy Jones. <laughs> we need we need Davy Jones' monkey and not his locker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's uh that is pretty wild. But um yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh you know, they played it uh fairly well. I think uh when Chekhov finds out uh you know what's going on and he tells his captain we gotta get out of here. Yeah, yeah. You know, he you there's some real tension there.
1: Absolutely. He's putting, he on, knows. You know,
0: putting on his helmet. Yeah. The botany bay, the oh, botany no. bay.
1: Yeah, we have. To, oh. Yeah, he realizes the gravity. I mean, I mean, Sulu wasn't even on the ship when uh, Khan was there. So there's, you know, legacy characters out of the main three. You've got McCoy, Kirk, and Spock. Obviously, they're completely on a different line, and for them to be split up to make the, the, the story work, you sort of see, okay, well, who are you going to throw in there? maybe some sort of uh, low level, uh, you know, lower deck member of the, the crew, which could be Chekhov, who just sort of saw, you know, Khan in passing, you know, before he was uh, put on the planet. So that sort of fits the point, but yeah. So as soon as uh, uh, Chekhov, Commander Chekhov and the the captain, was it uh, Barrett, I think, um, are captured by Khan and his crew, he immediately realizes that they are in a deep, deep hole with Khan and they bust out of that, uh, contained that shipping unit and they're all standing there. And this is where it goes downhill for these two.
0: Yeah. It's a great introduction, uh, to Khan at this point in the movie. And it's, it's uh, really great. You mentioned, um, how Star Trek has this wonderful trio of characters. You know, it, it really has at its core, the relationship between Kirk Spock and bones Mm-hmm. um is prevalent through the entire run of the original series and I'm so glad that the movies kind of picked up on that. We see that later on, you know, in in subsequent movies uh after the Wrath of Khan and uh I'm really glad that they kept uh kept that up. How well does that uh that aspect of their characters, how well is that portrayed in this movie? You wanted to talk a little bit about that?
1: That's fantastic. You not only are they You know, especially with McCoy and Spock, they're sparring all the time verbally, but they keep each other sort of honest in their approaches where you've got, you know, Spock's logic and you've got McCoy's sort of, you know, down home, salt of the earth approach to it. And it gives Kirk those two sides to a decision that he may or may not have to make. And he takes both of those. You can tell that he respects both of them so much that uh it really does play into his decision making even though ultimately he'll make his own decision that's best for the crew but uh, even sometimes he gets tired of it okay like, all right spock all right mccoy give it up you know stop it but um they're very they, they present very often two sides of an argument that probably gives kirk uh perspective with the current situation he hasn't had
0: you know there is a uh you start to get, um, you know, getting back to the sequence here, Chekhov, and the rest of the crew are brought back inside. Um, we get uh, a glimpse of uh, a, an introduction to Khan. Um, but there's a conversation there that pretty much explains, you know, obviously what you, what you mentioned um, after they were dropped off on the planet uh, from the space seat episode. Um, mm-hmm. They've been stranded there. They've been marooned um on that world and um you know chekhov does something very interesting you know he basically says you know admiral kirk didn't uh admiral kirk didn't know that uh that you guys were in trouble and that sets khan off uh, a little more because while him and his family are dying on this planet and struggling Admiral uh, Kirk gets uh, promoted and is just living his life. And I think that's where the anger starts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'll, we'll get to the music because the music really knocks it out of the park uh, uh, for this. Um, Again, just uh, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous music that, uh, that lends so much to the tension and the drama of, uh, of this film.
1: Oh, you're right. And that is a, pivotal moment, not only does Chekhov in unwittingly sort of set the stage for a Kirk's uh, rise to Admiral, you can see like, you know, uh, Khan bristles at the fact that he's an Admiral now, not just Captain, but Admiral, so he begrudgingly you know, calls him Admiral, and the second is that that realization, that Khan, you see, he turns, he goes, wait a minute, you think we're on City Alpha 6, not City Alpha 5, what are you doing here what's your purpose and that's when he drops in those earbuds which to this day I will tell you that <laughs> that scene freaked the crap out of me i remember seeing that in primary school we had a vhs and like in a movie day when it was a snow day and everyone in that class was uh dying with fear okay give me a minute before we continue i got to plug my computer in just a second okay
0: okay <laughs> put creatures in my body made us do things I'll just continue to do push-ups while you get your computer plugged in side note Charles has a Picture of cheese on the wall and what seems to be a large bug. Such a jerk. Yeah, a... <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: cool. we are good. There we go. Excellent. Sweet. All right, so we're talking about the bugs in the ears. Um,
0: Okay, folks, part one of this Wrath of Khan episode is wrapping up. We didn't expect it to go so long, and we had fun talking about the original series episode, Space Seed. And, of course, it's always a blast when Charles and Pat stop by the Citadel. We'll have to use an old Andorian mind trick to get Pat on sometime soon. Wish us luck. So next week, we continue our Wrath of Khan talk, and it gets really deep. As we mentioned in part one, Wrath is one of the most perfect sequels ever made. And I don't jumble hyperbole often, but in this case, Wrath of Khan, I'll make an exception. Join us in the discussion by dropping a voicemail at 773-234-8659. Tell us what your thoughts are on what we said on part one and in general, what do you think of Wrath of Khan? And don't forget, put July 9th, 2022 on your calendar. Dominic Pace returns to Scarif Live. We'll be catching up on all Dominic news leading up to our Red 5 meetup, ScarifCon 2022, here in Chicago, so stay tuned. And don't forget, join us this Saturday and every Saturday on Scarif Live, our YouTube live show where we geek out on all the hot topics, and that's the scuttlebutt.